Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 312 being recorded on Monday, October 30th, right before Halloween. I'm Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, it's a uh, Halloween Eve, Hallow Eve, um, but also we just uh, watched the Mac uh, live presentation from Apple, or live presented recorded earlier presentation from Apple about new Macs. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm going to ask you about Macs first. Are you going to get a new Mac? Or are you sitting out this upgrade cycle? I, I am on the fence, Scott. Uh, of course I want one. Uh, I, I have scheduled a, a meeting with my family CFO to see uh, uh, if I can, if I can justify it. Uh, so, so we'll, we'll see. I did not order one tonight. I'm, I'm actually, uh, still super happy with my M1 MacBook Pro. So, so I know M3 is at least three times better. So, so of course I want one, but we'll, we'll see when I pull the trigger. Uh, what about you? Is yours already on the way? Uh, I have been a while without an upgrade and running a little long on the tooth on this guy. So yes, uh, I have a new machine coming. They were actually pretty generous on the trade-ins. You should uh, just do an experiment before you talk to the CFO, plug in that trade-in and see if it oh, uh, that could be gives the... you a better presentation. That, also, if you have an Apple credit card, which I'm sure you do, um, they have a really compelling offer there. Uh, all right. Uh, lots yeah. of lots of good mm-hmm. good things mm-hmm. um, to consider. Uh, my, my nine-year-old has made it clear that we're not allowed to trade anything in. <laughs> <laughs> he's got dibs on dibs he's very on. he's very aware of the technology trickle down um impact mm. oh man well you can somewhere down the stream there's going to be one that you could trade in but i don't think it may have as much impact as your your current machine. i i don't know if he's ever going to own a compute device with a with a keyboard we'll see but yeah he's he's actually not that interested in my laptop speaking of baby geek or i guess now he's um i don't know uh kindergarten geek third grade geek <laughs> Third grade geek. Um, what's he thinking about uh, Halloween? Um, I, I, I hear he's kind of outgrown Star Wars, which makes me kind of sad. He still likes Star Wars, uh, but he, yeah, he is not uh, doing a Star Wars character. Uh, last year he did a Pokemon character. He did a Pikachu. And this year he's stepped up to Charizard. Ooh, so that very rare enables, uh, well, I think it depends on which Charizard, but um, true. I, that steps up the the whole opportunity to build pyrotechnics into the costume. All right, watch out for some evil Pokemon people that try to capture. Yeah, I think the big debate in our house, which isn't hasn't fully happened yet, is who's trick or treating with Steven and who's staying behind to try to scare the bejesus out of neighborhood kids. <laughs> I'm thinking you in a gorilla suit, or uh, you could be in the last year's Pokemon suit or Pikachu suit. That could be a fun combo. Yeah, uh, last year I actually had knee surgery only a few days before Halloween, so I won by default because I I couldn't really walk. True, but this year I feel like I have no good excuse. All right, 
as the title shows, the purpose of this is we have some Amazon news to report on. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. Well, Jason, it was a kind of interesting setup coming into earnings season this quarter. The whole world was focused not on e-commerce, not on marketplaces, not on omni-channel, not on payments, some of our favorite topics, but also not on ads, one of your favorite topics. But everyone is now obsessed with AI, thanks to the success of ChatGPT. Um, so coming into the quarter, Amazon was kind of on the backside of a lot of the other big companies. So we had Microsoft come out and they did really well with AI. Um, the, their partnership with OpenAI slash ChatGPT is bringing tons of workloads to Azure, uh, which is their cloud computing platform. And then Google really underwhelmed everyone with what they're doing. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of tiptoeing. It, it's very clear that they don't want to kill the golden goose that is Google search by putting too much AI into that. So a lot of their experiments are in Bard, which is kind of way off to the side. I've tried Bard three times. I can never get it to have the features that they say it should because my corporate Google account, you know, either won't have access or it says that feature is not here yet. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people are really starting to worry about Google uh, on this one. Uh, so then that teed it up where all eyes were on AWS to see how are they doing. Um, and uh, I think we've covered this, but the uh, you know Amazon's approach to this is to be kind of agnostic, for lack of a better word. So they're kind of like, hey, if you want to use any of these different models, we're going to basically let you run them on AWS compute. And we're going to have all kinds of different um, graphic processing unit or GPU um, tiers available from, you know, their own chipset to older NVIDIA chipsets to the new ones um, and kind of BYO LLM, <laughs> bring your own large language model. Um and then, uh, oh, yeah, also um, Facebook did pretty well. And, you know, they are definitely through the worst of the privacy changes uh, that Apple put out. And they have an approach to AI that is an open source one. So they're basically saying, hey, we're going to integrate this in our products. And what we build, we're going to put out there kind of almost scorched earth in a way saying, why don't we just open source this thing? And, uh, you know, maybe that'll slow down our competitors who are going to use this to, to generate their own revenue. And because they don't have a cloud piece, they don't, you know, in pure advertising, it, it doesn't really quote unquote hurt them to, to do this. So they're not you know making cloud revenue off of it, but it's become a, a popular one and it's called llama uh, in case anyone isn't familiar with that. Okay, um, so just not to leave everyone in suspense, because we usually talk about AWS kind of later in the Amazon update, we're going to cover it first. So they ended up having a really good AWS showing. Um, so I would say people got kind of panicky and were expecting it to be down, and it kind of came in line. But what got people excited was part of the talk track on the conference call. Um, you know, CEO uh, Jassy said that they're winning some big AI workloads. They talked about some big deals had closed towards the end of the quarter that were pretty significant. And what's happening is, um, as you know, uh, what's what you know, AI ChatGPT is trained on the broader internet and anything that they can throw into there. Um, and that's interesting. But what's happening is corporations and 
um, both big corporations for internal use, but then also other corporations, they're wanting to train a large language model on their data. And they also don't want that data to kind of leak into the broader um, ecosystem. So that's um, that's really benefiting Amazon because it turns out a lot of the data that companies want to train these LLMs are, on, are already in AWS. So instead of paying all this money to pull the data out of AWS and then synchronize it back into your LLM, um, as, uh, as Amazon anticipated with this kind of open bring BYO LLM model, people are bringing their LLMs to them and using the data because it's already in AWS and it's easier for the LLM to just kind of go right there and grab it versus moving the data around. That may not make a lot of sense, so let me give you kind of a random example. Let's say you're a big ad agency. Like, um, I'll pick up this one called Publicis. Um, they're out of France. Most people haven't heard of them. And let's say that that French ad agency wanted to save a bunch of money. They could take, like, let's say 300 hours of content from, like, a podcast transcript or something like that. Um, and they could use that content. Let's say someone at their company, like a D digital retail payment strategy, vice president, general manager um, type person with a big, crazy title like that. They could put that data um, uh, out there and run an LLM on AWS and train that data on it, uh, the LLM on that data. And then they could have, for example, just picking something random, they could have a retail geek bot that was basically as good as the human, probably 90%, so good enough. Um, but, you know, this thing could run 24-7. You could actually, you know, you could have as many of them, you could clone it onto different processors uh, after you got through the training mode and you were into quote-unquote inference mode. Um, and it also doesn't take breaks. It doesn't need Starbucks vanilla lattes constantly. It doesn't have expense reports. It just just does its job and, you know, doesn't complain and doesn't ask for raises. So that's that's a um, that's a use case that something like that would work. Uh, did that that's make sense? That's a very Jason? specific hypothetical, there, Scott. It was randomly chosen. Um, just kind of picked it out of the air it, there. It almost sounds like the more words in your title, the more vulnerable you would be to AI disruption. I hadn't thought about that, but it, it is does make sense because that's essentially more tokens for the AI to learn, just like right there in your title. You're, you're basically asking for it if you. If you're a robot overlord and you're kind of picking on who to go for first, I would look for large titles personally, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, how they're training sense. these things. Uh, there, I know you're the investment guy in, in our podcast, but there's this investment theory that you don't, you don't, uh, be the little guy chasing the big trend that what you want to do is identify the secondary trend. And so in this scenario, as soon as it seems like AI is ready to replace the, the, uh, blowhard talking heads, everyone should short Starbucks seems like the. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because when I lose my job and can't afford those lattes, I feel yep, like that's ten percent. Uh, right I, I would like I'll take some solace in knowing uh, that that uh, um, you made some money on that. Yeah, they'll be like uh, on their conference call. We're still working on the data, but we've isolated it to this two block window in Chicago, and we're, we're pretty sure we have an idea what's going on. <laughs> I feel like my Starbucks footprint is a lot bigger than Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the core of your bullseye, I'm sure, is uh, is kind of around there. Fair. Um, 
Okay, but in all seriousness, um, this was a really interesting blurb from the call where they talked about their strategy gaining traction. And they said, there's multiple businesses are using their Gen AI, that's short for generative AI, uh, apps on AWS, including Adidas. Um, people in uh, our European list- listeners, I think they call it Adidas, but I um, here in America, we call it, or here in South, uh, the Southeast, we call it Adidas, uh, booking.com and United Airlines. And while Gen AI's revenue contribution remains small, management suggested revenue, quote, compares favorably to some of the other leading providers. And this is this is interesting because Amazon's always mums uh, on revealing anything until the SEC forces them to break out stuff like, you know, for the longest time, we didn't know what AWS was. And then we didn't know what ads were. And then they became material enough, they had to break them out. So, so Amazon under Bezos would never have said those words of like even hinting about what's going on. But it kind of is interesting because there's a new sheriff in town, and also it shows you how important it is that they let everyone know that they are not falling behind and that their revenue, quote unquote, compares favorably with other other cloud providers. Uh, obviously, they're talking about Azure. Um, one Wall Street analyst I did, he did his back of the napkin, and he kind of said, all right, I think that they're telling us – this is always funny because it's like six degrees of – uh, you know, separation. So who knows? Uh, but they they basically inferred what they were trying to say. Reading the tea leaves was that it's about a four hundred million dollar business and already two percentage points of AWS revenue. Um, you know, which was basically zero six months ago. So that's um, that that is kind of an interesting thing. You know, that came out of nowhere and is already a four hundred million quarterly business. So that means it's a one point six billion uh, annualized run rate business. Um, if they're reading the tea leaves right on that. So that was the AI part. So I thought it'd be important for us to get that out. Cause that was kind of like the news cycle really centered around that. Um, and it is interesting, you know, you and I are, are watching this very closely. There are e-commerce ramifications, you know, there's all kinds of the innovation here is uh, so rapid. It's hard to keep up with. There's all kinds of AIs for creating product detail pages and, you know, all kinds of, you know, e-commerce oriented support bots. And it's just like amazing. Um, a lot of AI applications for optimizing warehouses. It's just like overwhelming how much is out there. We're definitely in the the, the tippy top of the hype curve. And, um, you know, a, a lot of businesses are still sorting through all this. Um, but that was the, that was the, the non e-commerce retail side of things, um, and, and non ads, um, with that behind us, the other big win for the quarter I thought you'd want to kind of fill us in on was the advertising part. What did you see there? Yeah, yeah. I want to jump into ads. I do want to just say quickly, it's interesting on the AWS because they they posted solid numbers. They posted 12% growth for AWS, and they announced that they won. The whole dialogue was about all these AI workloads that you just covered, mm-hmm. uh, but they haven't recognized much of the revenue from all of these new AI workload wins yet. So the this 12% growth feels like kind of uh, a win based on the legacy cloud business, even before you start to factor in all this new traction they're getting um, on AI workload. So, so that does seem interesting. But uh, I just want to reiterate what you started out by saying, uh, which is, the the bet at Amazon is that you're going to want to bring the LLM to your data and not that you're going to want to bring your data to the LLM. And that intuitively make, makes a lot of sense. So it, uh, it, it seems like uh, investors were at least pretty happy with their the the AI uh, cloud case that they made. Um, so that being said, uh, 
as far as I'm concerned, an even uh, bigger win for them was the ad business. So, so they generated $12 billion in ad revenue for the quarter. That's up 26% uh, versus Q3 of last year. Um, year to date, that means their ad business is up 23% from the year before. So, you know, we're comparing that to like the, the 11 or 12% growth they get on AWS. Um, the ad business grew 21% last year. So it's grown 23% this year. That impugns, depending on how you factor in seasonality, like a 46 to $50 billion run rate for the ad business right now. So if you take a conservative estimate, um, for the, the, the uh, margin rate on that business, that's generating $27, $28 billion worth of EBITDA uh, for Amazon, which is a huge, huge business uh, and much more profitable than, than AWS, by the way. Um, so the ad business was very robust. Um, and a, a couple of inter- interesting takeaways. Um, Amazon is adding more and more video properties. They have Thursday Night Football. Uh, you know, they announced that they're going to start uh, embedding ads in Amazon Prime, and they'll have a, a premium offering uh, to bypass those ads. Uh, so there, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, kind of top of the funnel linear programming uh, ads at Amazon. None of that is in this uh $12 billion number right now, or very little, like all of the potential they, they, they talk about for this, uh, for, for these non-commerce, uh, ads is all sort of, uh, incremental to what they're getting right now. Um, at the moment, the vast majority of all Amazon's ads are bottom of the funnel. The, the sponsored product listing is by far their most, uh, popular ad that that's growing particularly well. Um, and with the particular mix of economic headwinds we have at the moment, uh, a lot of advertising is shifting to bottom of the funnel. People are less interested in investing in awareness and more interested in investing in sales. And Amazon turns out to be, uh, the best destination to take that, that, uh, those dollars to put them into digital ads that generate, um, bottom of the funnel results. Um, so this quarter, everyone was really interested to hear from the advertising companies uh, to see if advertisers were going to be cutting back. Right. And so, you know, you mentioned Meta had their, their earnings call. Google had their earnings call. Facebook, uh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, Snap had their, their earnings call and ads were uniformly up across everyone's earnings. So Meta's ads were up 23%. Uh, Google's ads were up 11%. Uh, Google broke out YouTube ads, which were up 12%. Snap ads were up 5%. Uh, but nobody's ads were up as much the 26% that Amazon's were. And nobody has had the consistently, uh, rapid ad growth that Amazon's had the last three quarters. Um, so the, the economic headwinds like do not appear to be, um, putting a huge crimp in the, the digital advertising business. And they appear to be disproportionately benefiting, um, Amazon. And so then you go, wait, next quarter, they're going to be selling ads on all of their video programming. Um, and that could easily add another $5 billion just for in, uh, to, to this, this annual run rate. So, um, a lot of green lights, uh, in the Amazon, um, uh, ad business. The, uh, I am not a huge sports person, but you uh, mentioned Thursday night football. And have you seen, and kind of marrying this back to the AI thing, have you seen Prime Vision? Have you played with that? I have, yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, for listeners, what they do is on Thursday Night Football, if you watch from um, – actually, I, I do it on my Apple TV, and I'm in the Prime Video app. And then you can you, – it takes you to the standard broadcast just like every other thing. But you can go in, and then you hit down arrow, and you can select a different broadcast, which is called Prime Vision. And what it does, they've added features since they did it. Uh, they started it. Um, and they've added all these new AI features that are really amazing. So during a pass play, they'll show you the most likely target. They put like a Madden-esque circle in real time under the player. And, you know, he'll flash like green or something if he's a possible target. On the defense, they'll they'll show a potential blitzer. Um, they'll, they'll show you fourth down probabilities in real time, um, you know, and... Uh, it's just amazing. They've added tons of features to that since I've I've been watching it, and I find it like really adds a ton to the game to to kind of see you can see the strategy in real time. Most of the broadcasters, you know, they'll talk about it like Tony Romo or something, but it's way after the play, after they've had time to put together animation. This is doing it all in real time. It's just mind blowing the amount of compute they must be throwing at that. And you know, uh, I think it's a it could change the way you think about sports in, in a really interesting way. Oh, yeah. Increasingly, it's a better experience watching the game at home than you can get in the stadium. Yeah, the stadium doesn't do that. Uh, they uh, Side note, for soccer, uh, at the World Cup, they actually did, but you have to watch the whole game like through AR on your phone. Let's <laughs> uh, see so you're which, at the stadium watching the game on your phone. Yeah, I mean, I mean and it was cool, <laughs> right? Like, same, same sort of thing. Like, it's overlaying all this real-time stats and probability. It was amazing, uh, but... Like it's not a very good experience to like hold your phone up and have your camera on the whole time to sort of get all these stats. And so, yeah. yeah. Um, or we'll all just be there in our vision pros watching the game with stats on it. Yeah. Yeah. Side note, Thursday night football is the bane of my existence because I, I do play fantasy football and I, I never have my act together to have my lineups all set before Thursday night. So usually the game starts and I have to pray that I don't have any super important players that I fail to start and then I can enjoy the game. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Anything else on ads? Nope. No, I think that uh, covers it pretty well on ads. Um, you know, just uh, we talk, we've talked about a lot on the show, but the the overwhelming success Amazon's having with ads has this, of course, trickle down effect that every other player in the commerce space is trying to figure out how to monetize their their traffic and get their share. And at the moment, nobody's getting uh, anything like Amazon's uh, uh add to commerce uh, ratio. Um, and of course the, the audience sizes start dropping off really quick after Amazon, right? You, you know, you get a lot less eyeballs at Walmart than you have at Amazon and a lot less eyeballs at target than you have at Walmart. And, you know, once you get smaller than that, uh, it, it starts getting real fragmented real fast. Yeah. How do you, we're still, there's still, even though that's a big number, they're still like way far away from Facebook, right? So, so number one is Google by a really big margin. And then number two is Facebook and then it's Amazon and they're like way ahead of everyone else, but they have to, even though they're outpacing them a little bit, it would be like decades before they caught up. Am I remembering that right? Uh, I'm not, no, I'm not going to say decades. Okay. Uh, it's an order of magnet. Uh, it's, it's like hundred to two million, hundred to 200 billion dollar annual run rates for those other guys. Um, and but they're kind the of getting of, to half, right? Yeah, 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 they are. They are like they uh, they're with like within fifty percent of striking distance of number two. Of, yeah, if you had said that to us five years ago, we would not have believed it. I would I would not have seen how it would be 
possible. Yeah, I've been playing that what would you have thought five years ago game a lot. And you, you, you know, you talked about who all the winners are in AI. If you said five years ago that AI is going to become a huge thing, what company is going to win? Like you, you, we would have all bet on Google. Yeah. Yeah. Or Apple or, you know, it would not have been a startup called OpenAI. Yeah. It was nonprofit that flipped to profit. A very no profitable coming, nonprofit. Including yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah. And, and by OpenAI, you mean NVIDIA, but yeah. Yeah, one tidbit I saw on ads. I love to read the Wall Street uh, reports, and you know they largely talk about the same data, but a lot of them are good at very good at modeling. And they can, when Amazon doesn't tell them something, like they don't break out, they break out the revenue for ads, um, but they don't break out the profit. Um, yeah, so it kind of gets swept up into this larger number. But then they give you enough pieces you can kind of back into it. So um, one of my favorite analysts, he's a friend of the show, Scott Devitt. Um, he modeled back through there. And to your point, he basically said that the ad business has a 60% EBITDA margin. So net margin of 60%, which is basically like you know, just money raining. That's like Google's business model, which I guess makes sense because basically it is Google's business model. <laughs> yeah, because it is Google's business model. Yeah. And this ties into, you know, you know more about this uh, government stuff than I do, but you know, Google's in a pretty nasty fight with the FTC. Um, or the DOJ, I can't remember some government bureau, uh, important uh, entity that that is you know claiming they have a monopoly on search, and they're basically pointing over here and saying, "Look at these Amazon guys; they're uh, closing in on us pretty quick." And they always reference those stats that show, you know, like more than half the people start product searches at Amazon and all that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, no, it's super interesting. I, I Scott uh, Devitt is way uh, better at financial models than me, but I actually think he might be underestimating the profitability. And part of it is it's there, there's a lot of room for gray area. Like if you think about the, the Amazon business, it's super fascinating. Do you know who the number one digital advertiser in the United States of America is? Do you know who buys more ads than anyone else? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. $18 billion a year of <laughs> ads they buy just from Google. So they buy $18 billion worth of eyeballs from Google. They use those eyeballs to sell a bunch of stuff that they make money on. And then they sell $50 billion worth of ads to those eyeballs. Uh, That's a good arbitrage. It's, it's amazing eyeball arbitrage. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's so how much of that acquisition cost are you factoring into the profitability of the ad business versus the, like I, I would argue that the, these are not separatable businesses. Right? As much as everyone wants to talk about ads as a separate business, to me, it only exists because you have all this traffic for commerce, and it's it's a core part of the the commerce math at this point. Um, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, when we did our Instacart coverage of this one, now Instacart's been public for a while, and if you look at their numbers, they're basically only being. Um, you know, the whole Instacart business is being valued at zero except for the ads. So they're basically trading like an ad company. So all of Wall Street said, okay, that grocery part is kind of like, ah, yeah, it's there. <laughs> we'll put it at like, you know, a hundred million dollars. Uh, and then the ad business is like worth, um, you know, the $800 million ad business is where they gave it a really nice multiple of like 5X. So, so that's interesting. You know, I'm sure. You're going to, you know, spoiler alert, you're going to see a lot more ads on, on Instacart. <laughs> the, um, you know, a lot of people, there is a negative and, and, you know, no one ever talks about this, but a lot of people, and this usually comes from Amazon sellers and they always have kind of a love, hate, 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 hate relationship with Amazon. 
Um, you know, a lot of them would say, and I hear this from consumers that the customer experience is, is the user experience is degraded on Amazon because there's just so many darn ads now, you know, the, um, and I see it too. If I'm looking for a specific thing, I can kind of like add, add, add. Okay. That's what I was looking for. Um, you know, at some point there is cannibalization there and, you know, it, it, you know, what we don't know is what did they lose, um, from, you know, doing this? Like, was there a product they didn't sell because people couldn't find it or we'll, we'll never really know that, but you know, you kind of hope they're smart enough to, to figure that calculus out and make it a, you know, huge net positive versus the cannibalization getting close to the, the EBITDA contribution. Oh yeah. No, I, I think two things like there, there definitely is an impact on customer experience and every retailer that gets into this space has a different um, philosophy about that. And, and Amazon's appears to be, that the monetization is just worth it. Um, but you know, you think about everyone, other retailers that are not leaning in quite so hard, um, are trying to balance that. And then the new interesting thing is if you're any retailer other than Amazon, where all your eyeballs really are is not on your website. It's in your store. Right. And, mm-hmm. but you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, the, these disruptions that people might tolerate as digital disruptions on a website, they may not talk, you know, nobody wants to junkify, um, uh, a, a physical store experience with a bunch of, you know, make it feel like you walked into Times Square every time you walk into a, a retail store. So there's all the, this interesting calculus, um, on where everyone should land on that. The other interesting thing to me is for a while, there was a, a an opportunity for best practitioners to get outside returns. So there was a, a subset of all those Amazon sellers that were really good at the Amazon ad, uh, execution, right? And they did, they were smarter about where they put their bids. They were smarter about the attributes they put in their ad. They were smarter about the creative they made for their ad and they could get outside res- returns versus other sellers on Amazon. Uh, but the first trend you mentioned, the AIification of this whole business has, sort of made the best practices um, dummy proof, right? And so now, you know, you just hand a product shot to, to Amazon and it makes the ad for you and you turn over the bidding strategy to Amazon and it optimizes your bidding for you. And so it it's it's squeezing more of the potential profit like out of uh, uh, all of these, these other businesses that are built on top of Amazon because it, it's uh, um, kind of... Uh, uh, normalizing the the ad business to everyone and it it just becomes a pure pay, play to pay like who's going to bid the most for this eyeball yeah it kind of supports your theory that maybe the EBITDA is higher because they don't have a lot of people sitting there editing images or something like what they used to do back in the olden days <laughs> exactly you used to you need this thing called what is it called uh ad agency yeah yeah good cut the you know you can just get one of those bots i discussed or just like you know have a some ai do it for you yeah. Yeah. That was a funnier example a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, unrelated news. Uh, Jason's brushing up his CV. So we'll hit him up. The uh, uh, So just to zoom out to the big picture. So so we kind of dove into the two topical things, AWS slash AI and the ads. Um, those together really caused Amazon to beat revenue. Um, that they came in about 1% higher than revenue. So it was kind of like a slight beat slash meat, but where they really exceeded, oh, and revenue came in at 143 billion. Um, where they really crushed it was operating income. And, um, you know, these two contributed to it, but also retail, they did some interesting things that, that also, you know, I think dramatically helped 
beat expectations. Uh, operating income came in at $11.2 billion and expectations, which is Wall Street consensus is what they say, was $7.7 billion. You know, so that's like what? That's like four, 3.5 billion um, beat, you know, like a huge beat compared to what everyone 35%. Yeah. So that pushed the stock up 10%. Um, and then also we'll talk about guidance and that was positive. So it's been interesting. Amazon stock has been kind of in a, you know, a, a funk for lack of better words, it's been kind of rallying around at the same level. Um, and, you know, literally for, for quite a while, like 18 months. Um, and this was the first catalyst to cause a big move. And at its market cap, a 10% move at Amazon last I looked, let me see, let me get one of our researchers here. Um, one of the interns is going to look, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they were like 1.2 trillion and now they're like 1.4 trillion. So that's, you know, a move like that takes a lot of dollars when you're a bigger than a trillion dollar business to, to move things. It's like a lot of, a lot of value creation can happen in a $1.2 trillion company when it shoots up 10% in five trading days. 10% will buy uh, a lot of rocket fuel. It will. Yes. Uh, a lot of dates, uh, with helicopter, uh, pilot, pilots as well. Um, and a lot of cool new clothes. Um, so there were some really interesting things. You know, we spend the bulk of our time here on the pod talking about retail and e-commerce, uh, two of our favorite topics. So Jason, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in there as well. You want to fill us in on that? Yeah, everyone just wants to talk about uh, ads and AI, but it turns out that Amazon is actually a pretty good retailer. Um, and so the the retail business also had a good quarter. And to kind of set the table... Uh, every, uh, every listener of the show knows I love my U.S. Department of Commerce data. Um, so that came out last week, uh, for, um, September, which gives us Q3 data for the industry. So U.S. retail data in September, uh, this was up one point year to date sales in the United States, January through September. We're up 1.9% this year versus last year. Uh, it's up 35% versus before the pandemic in 2019. So, 1.9% is not very good growth by historical standards. We would normally expect about 4% growth. Um, so if we just look at Q3 growth, uh, the industry was up 2%, which again, half of what you would typically expect. Um, so Amazon's growth for Q3 is 11% versus that, that, uh, industry number of 2%. So 11% growth, um, is very robust. Um, the, if you kind of, uh, look at Amazon's growth since the pandemic. That Q3 number means they're up 85% versus Q3 2019. And their year to date number, uh, is up 111% versus 2019. Um, so, so Amazon's a very large retailer, arguably number one or number two retailer in the U.S. now. Um, and, uh, they're, they're growing way faster than the industry average. Um, and again, depending on how you count, Walmart would be the number two retailer, which is also growing significantly faster than the industry average. So that actually tells you everything you need to know about the rest of the retail <laughs> industry um, is that we're, you know, we're having a significant bifurcation and uh, with winners and, and losers in the space. Um, the, the other side of the retail business for Amazon is international. And historically, uh, North America has been a very mature market that has grown and generated profits. Um, international has not made money for Amazon. And I would say it was a mixed bag, uh, in terms of their international performance. 
on a constant currency basis, international sales were up 11%, which it's a smaller, less mature business. So you'd like to see it growing faster than the, the mature North American market. Um, but their operating loss is way smaller. So, uh, last year, this quarter, they lost $2.5 billion. This year, they only lost a uh, hundred million dollars. Um, so nearly break it even for the quarter. Um, the, this did not come up in their, their earnings and no one asked them about this, but, uh, Marketplace Pulse, uh, reported earlier this month, uh, that appears Amazon has, has meaningfully curtailed their international expansion. And a lot of markets they had announced they were expanding into, they, they seem to have, uh, delayed, um, postponed or canceled a lot of international market openings. Um, so, uh, international definitely is not the star of the show. Um, it is also true a lot of the other markets that's am- that Amazon's in still have more just uh, general macroeconomic headwinds than the United States does at the moment. Um, a lot of the world has a more severe version of the same macroeconomic problems that we have um, in the U.S. Uh, so um, a couple interesting um, tidbits uh, in the discussion about the retail business um, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the CFO, Brian, uh, Olskov, uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. Olsovsky, um, Brett, Brett Olsovsky, uh, talked about how, uh, despite the fact that they're, they had nice growth in retail, that they are seeing a cautious consumer who's generally trading down and more deal seeking, um, than usual. And that's consistent with, uh, cautions that we've heard from other, retailers um that actually gives me some some significant pause for holiday which we'll talk about later um the the thing that that amazon uh was really touting in the retail business is that they dramatically improved their cost to serve and their speed of delivery in q3 um and that largely was thanks to an initiative they started a couple quarters ago um this transition from a single national fulfillment network to a regional fulfillment network where they have eight distinct district regions in the United States that each sort of operate independently. And the goal is to have all the, the inventory that, that Scott Wingo, uh, wants to buy, um, in his region. So the goods have to travel, uh, less far are less expensive to get to him, um, and get to him faster. And what they announced, um, in the earnings, was that the transition to this, this, um, uh, regional model, um, has gone better and exceeded, uh, their expectations. They're getting more, uh, incremental profit and faster speed of delivery than, than they even projected, um, out of transitioning to that. Um, so this is, uh, I know we talk a lot about, uh, how big and what a, a huge moat, uh, Amazon logistics are. Um, but I still feel like this is underappreciated by most Amazon's competitors. Um, and they're, they're, they're just opening a bigger gap in speed of service. And one of the things they mentioned is that they see a direct correlation between consumable sales and speed of service. When they promise, uh, that they can, uh, get them there faster, they sell more paper towels. Um, so I, I think it's very clear that, that consumers want speed of service and, Amazon has a huge advantage and it appears to be getting even bigger. Um, so that's interesting. Another thing I talk about a lot 
um, is there's a few new retailers that are also uh, stealing significant share um, very quickly, and they're primarily Chinese companies. So it's Xi'an and most notably Timu. Um, and so while like they certainly didn't come up in the Amazon earnings, um, a, a lot of the analysts started looking at the the rapid growth that Timu is getting um, and trying to figure out if they're stealing share um, from Amazon. Um, and uh, Evercore did a big consumer survey. Um, and the results of their survey was that uh, Timu is mostly not stealing share from Amazon, that most of its share is coming from other retailers um, and in many cases coming from brick and mortar value retailers in the U.S. So the dollar stores um, and it appears that that Amazon is more insulated from the the growth and profit that they're getting. Um, so all of that, uh, you know, rolls up to be a pretty impressive quarter. Uh, you've talked about it a lot, but it kind of feels like Amazon's got a bunch of knobs that they can turn whenever they want to um, improve profitability. And it feels like they both added more knobs they can turn this quarter and they turn some of them. Yeah. The, the other thing that's really interesting is if you look at an Amazon, you can't really read because they have so many employees in the fulfillment centers. Um, you can't really tell their employee growth and it's surging right now as they prepare, prepare for holiday. But another really interesting trend is Google meta and there's one of the other ones. Oh, Microsoft. Um, their revenue per employee is surging. So they're, they're actually not hiring many people right now. And the assumption is these companies are leveraging AI internally and becoming exceedingly efficient. Um, and you kind of wonder, is Amazon doing the same thing? I hear inklings. You know, I have kids that are not so far out of college. They don't know folks looking for jobs and things. I hear inklings that Amazon is not really hiring that much as they kind of were at one point. So I kind of wonder, are they also you know, hiding behind that, that, you know, they have like a million employees and it surges like 200,000 for holiday. So it doesn't look like they're being more productive, but what they don't do is split out corporate versus fulfillment center. I have the, have an idea that if we looked at corporate, they're also one dial they've turned that's new is I think they're not hiring as many folks because people are getting a lot of efficiencies from these AI systems that these companies are dog fooding internally and and because they're they're a little bit further ahead than kind of like what we see um, out of the LLMs, I think they're doing some really interesting things that that they will productize, and we will we will see what they're doing. Um, and a lot of it's going to be this like really focused, you know, uh, create an ad. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that used to be kind of outsourced, or uh, you would have to throw a bunch of bodies at it. Uh, I think there's LLMs doing a lot of that, you know, uh, customer support bots, thing, things like that, um, that, you know, I think there's a lot of efficiencies going on inside of there that's helping these guys really beat their earnings numbers. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's true. It's not lost on me that just as the retail geek bot is going to replace me at Publicis, all the other places that might have hired me are also not <laughs> Um, so my fallback is that I may be washing cars at Spiffy. So we'll see how that, that all plays out. Um, but I promise to work hard of it if it comes to that, Scott. Um, absolutely. The also we could, uh, we could just turn this podcast into entire ads. So, um, that, oh, that could be, could be podcast. Our second ask. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing that to the listeners. They, uh, advertisers would make us make a shorter podcast, Scott. Yeah. That, you know, listeners I'm not down for that. Now, so I'm not down do for it. it. Uh, even if I have to wash cars, um, 
the I, I think you're certainly right. Like a, a lot of these uh, companies and Amazon very overtly has has put some more barriers in in uh, place in terms of corporate hires. Um, the one notable exception being uh, a, the AI space. Uh, they're they're hiring pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think in addition to everything you mentioned uh, that Amazon's actually finally like really leaning into the fulfillment center automation. So while they've always been a leader in in having fulfillment center tech, not all of their fulfillment centers and a, a big chunk of their fulfillment centers were not highly automated. Um, and so I think they're now automating all of them and they're rapidly moving to sort of next gen automation, um, you know, where everyone else is kind of putting their first robots and, you know, moving things around the warehouse more efficiently. Um, a- Amazon is uh, like rolling out new technology that's a lot more, uh, seamless in how uh, the people and the automation work together in a in a safe, cohesive way. So uh, I, I do think um, one of the levers Amazon has is uh, you know to to really add more automation in those in those fulfillment centers and in that cost to serve. Absolutely, it's kind of interesting because when we started Spiffy, which is my uh, on demand car care company where you're going to come wash cars. Um, people were like, AI is, you know, there'll be a robot that can do this in five years. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, the Boston Dynamics robots are cool, but they're they're not, you know, it's just programmed. A lot of times I don't think it's like, gut, you know, it's not thinking. And and who would have guessed that AI would replace, you know, the digital retail talking heads first and and not not the, you know, physical things. I think the physical stuff is going to take a lot longer. But who knows, once these AIs, you know, there's Tesla has that that demonstration of theirs. What is his name? Optimus. Um, that you know, it it kind of is learning things as it goes and and making inference in real time. So that is kind of you know, we who knows where all this is going to go. If we uh back to now uh, and not science fiction, but you know, near term science fiction. So um, you know, looking forward for fourth quarter, they put guidance out that uh they're going to see growth in the fourth quarter of seven to 12%. Um, the midpoint of that range, uh, which let's see, would be nine and change itself was five and a half percent above the consensus midpoint. So this is what we would call a classic, you know, meet top line, crush bottom line on the current quarter, and then raise the next quarter, both top and bottom line pretty substantially. Um, so that, you know, this is an important data point when we kind of swirl it together with your department of commerce data. Um, it does seem like Amazon signaling they're feeling pretty good about the fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, everyone felt like this was kind of conservative given I, I didn't put the bottom line number, but they felt like that was pretty conservative given what they just did. Um, and, you know, they felt like they had a lot of room to kind of beat that number. And maybe it's going to be more like 14, 15% growth, which would be, you know, a new post um, COVID reversion high, I guess you would look at it. Uh, what do you, did you leave this feeling more optimistic about Q4 or were you your uh, classic Jason curmudgeon self? Yeah, no, I think I'm mostly curmudgeon not for Amazon. Uh, I actually, uh, I, I think their guidance seems realistic to me. Um on the top line, uh, I, I feel like the bottom line is just totally up to their whims. Like if, if they want to blow away the bottom line, they can. Um, if they want to invest at all in, in, uh, you know, new 
uh, new AI capabilities and and uh, keep the bottom line uh, uh, constrained, they can do that too. Uh, but the uh, that top line, I, I think they're likely to to hit their guidance. Um, and again, you know, one or two other big retailers might you know have a pretty robust holiday as well. Uh, but I actually think that that sucks all the the potential growth out of uh, the market for holiday. And so I, I actually think um, that sort of signifies a potentially bleak holiday season for a lot of other traditional retailers. Um, so I, I guess it's a, a little bifurcated. It's, it's good news for Amazon. Um, we'll see what Am- uh, Walmart's Q3 earnings look like. They, they announced on November 16th. Uh, but I, I, I do feel like endemically, uh, Amazon and Walmart have some, some, uh, inherent advantages that are, um, insulating them from some of the economic headwinds. And I think that, that really just makes things that much more difficult for the, the rest of retail. And so I, I, I desperately want to be wrong. Um, but I, I think it's going to be, uh, a, a kind of disappointing holiday for a bunch of folks. There, there also, uh, was sort of, some, if you really listen to the Q and A portion of the investor call, um, there, uh, the, the CFO in particular, uh, had some concerns about capacity around Q4. Um, and one of the things he called out was carrier capacity, which is interesting because hmm. Am- Amazon does so much of their own fulfillment now that they're just way less dependent on third party carriers. But if he's worried about carrier capacity for Q4, um, you can bet that means that every other retailer ought to be really concerned um, about carrier capacity for Q- Q4. Um, and so we, you know, we feel like we talk about that every every holiday season. Um, but uh, Amazon's got a lot of um, new fulfillment center capacity that's coming online in Q3 of this year uh, and will even in Q4. And so I guess... If there's one thing that could glitch at Amazon, if um, if there's not enough delivery capacity, if if some of these new fulfillment centers have any any sort of um, uh, glitches or delays in coming online, um, that you know that that could be the constraining factor for their Q4 growth. Interesting. Hmm. So a sprinkle of curmudgeon. Speaking of holiday, where can listeners go if they want to get the best holiday news? Even though we haven't been potting as much as we want to because our day jobs have been uh, absorbing a fair amount of time this year, um, we are going to have some killer content around this holiday. And kicking it off, we have our very own Jason live, not an AI. And you're going to do a little webinar for Commerce Next. What's that all about and when is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, on, uh, Monday, November 6th, which I think is, uh, a week from now, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, we're doing a Commerce Next, uh, webinar where we'll sort of, uh, preview the holiday season. Um, so you, you heard the, the very early <laughs> preview, uh, just now, but we'll go into more detail. I'll share some of the third party forecasts, uh, for holiday. Uh, good news. Um, all the other predictors are much more optimistic <laughs> than I am. Um, so, so we'll hit that on November 6th. And then, of course, there'll be all the good real time holiday news, um, that will be, will be hitting pretty hot and heavy here on the podcast. So we'll, we'll have some of the best, uh, data sources, um, on, uh, right before and after the holiday to kind of talk about where things are going and, and what actually happened. 
And uh, with that, I think it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. As always, if this uh, deep dive in Amazon's earnings was, was valuable for you, the way you can repay that value is to jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. Thanks, everyone. And Jason, until next time. Happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 